So can we all stand? Can we all stand? And can we give a ruckus applause for Tim Mullins? Give it up. No pressure, man. No pressure. No, this is my brother, man. I love this dude. He's like family. Tim was, you can have a seat. Or you could just stand there awkwardly for the rest of the service. No, please don't. Uh, Tim, I, I told him this. Tim was my first, fr my first like real friend when I moved to Hamilton, and uh, I love you, man. I do. No, it's. It, <laughs> is that a reflection on me? I don't know. Uh, that is kind of sad, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, some of you guys know I moved from Cleveland. I didn't know anybody other than Sarah, and so Tim and Sarah just embraced you as well. Uh, you guys embraced us, and really, you guys mean a lot to us. And so this will not be their last time back here. If we can ever convince them to move back, we'll do it. If you feel like a prophecy for them, no, just don't, don't do that. Uh, but yeah, they, they've recently moved, they've taken a position up, nor up north, right, Xenia area. Is Wilmington. Wilmington. Wilmington, yeah, Wilmington. It's the epicenter of progressive arts and culture, you gotta see it. Uh, that was a joke. Yeah. Two of you got that, man, you guys are dry today. Okay, I'll shut up, give it up for Tim, thanks, man. I want to try my best not to knock anything over up here. If I do, it'll be a miracle. Um, yeah, thank you guys for having us today. We are very blessed to be here. We enjoyed coming down. We've been looking forward to it. I think we planned this like a month ago. Something like that. And we've been looking forward to it. And Sarah got told this week that she was going to sing. So she's been a nervous wreck all week. So but you did good, babe. Really good. And of course, we love Pastor Patrick Davis. And um, in my phone, he's listed as, um, what is it? Father. Father Patrick Davis. It just to be funny. I don't know. But yeah, they've been great to our family. They have um, been huge friends to us. There was a time not that long ago where we were facing some decisions and choices that we were making, and they were um, life-changing ones about packing up our whole family and moving away and stuff like that. And Sarah and Patrick were huge in encouraging us and blessing us in that, and we thank them for that. And when they called us and said, hey, we're thinking about starting up a church, me and Sarah both like, yeah, it's about time. Why haven't you done this sooner? Like, we expected this to happen from them, and we know God's going to bless this church. This morning, we are going to be reading out of Luke 5. Um, if you have a Bible or a smartphone, you can look it up. It's 5, 1 through 11. I'll give you one second. Your second's up. We'll start reading. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. We'll stop right there. Don't ever ask Siri to help you pronounce a word in the Bible. Um, she gets it wrong every time. And then you get up in front of people and you say it wrong, and then you don't look like you're the brightest. So just don't ask Siri. Anyway, but the fishermen had gone out of, out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners, and the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats that, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were in, with him 
were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. We bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity and this chance to speak your word. We pray that you bless us, Lord, besides anything I do, Lord, that you bless the word and bless the people that they can hear what you want them to hear this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, good job. So my main thing this morning, I want to talk about the disciples and who God chose and what in the world was he thinking. If you look at this from a industry standpoint of hiring people, Jesus picked all the people that got turned away from their interviews. Pretty much anybody that had been fired from McDonald's, God went through and asked them to follow him. And it's crazy because I didn't realize how rough the disciples were until I started studying for this message. Like, you know they did some crazy stuff. I mean, Peter denied him and all this, but you, I didn't realize how rough the disciples were. In church, we think of disciples as, you know, they are like stained glass windows on the churches. They got the halos around them. They're the saints. And in all reality, everything they did right was after Jesus died. Like why they were walking with Jesus, they messed up more than the people that Jesus was preaching to. So I got this little thing. It's called the Flaws of the Twelve. Um, it's just a few of the things they did wrong. They were very self-centered people. They thought about themselves. They didn't get along with most of the others in the group. Like there was one time they were all coming down the into the house, and Jesus asked the disciples, what were you guys talking about? And they all kind of played dumb and didn't say anything because what they were talking about was who was the greatest among the 12 disciples. They were trying to compare each other to each other, which is not what you think a disciple would do. They often didn't believe what Jesus was teaching until he backed it up in his words. So they followed him, but they didn't always think he was going to do what he said he did until he did it. They mistreated people. Jesus was preaching to several thousand people, and they were hungry. Jesus wanted to feed them, and the disciples wanted to send them home hungry. It's kind of guys these were. One was a thief that betrayed Jesus for money. One was a zealot who believed that you could force somebody into believing. Um, you didn't have to show them through love. You could just make them believe. Now, this is one that I had to go back and read several times because I didn't believe it when I first read it. But James and John, two of the disciples, had their mom go to Jesus and ask her to ask them for a better place in heaven. So she went to Jesus, got down at his feet, and this is in um, Matthew 20, if you want to read it. But the mom got down at Jesus' feet and said, hey, when you get to heaven, can you make sure one of my sons is on your right hand and one of my sons is on your left, and you have a place for them? So the mom tried to up the other disciples by giving their sons better spots in heaven. They often separated themselves from the group, like Simon said to Jesus, even if the rest of these guys betray you, I won't. Like, if everybody else walks away from Jesus, I'll be right there next to you. Like, they might not be good enough, but I am good enough. They all ran away when the soldiers came. 
And Simon, Peter, rejected Jesus three times, even after he had just said, I would never do such a thing to you. Now, these are a few of the bad things that disciples did. I always felt like I could relate to Peter because there's a lot of things he did in his life that I feel like, yeah, I probably would have done that if I'm the bad stuff. Like, I probably would have did stuff like that when I was in that time. But he did a lot of good. But then as I studied this, I realized all the disciples were a mess. And when I say Jesus picked the worst of the worst, so fishermen wasn't like, like I, I believe seven out of 12 were fishermen. And it wasn't like when I go fishing. I love fishing. But when I go fishing, I'm wearing an Under Armour fishing shirt made for fishing. It's the little logo looks like fish hooks. Um, I got tennis shoes on. I'm fishing with a $100 reel and stuff like, it's nice, it's fun for me. These guys were fishing with nets that they would fish all day with and then stay up all night and have to mend. So when I catch a fish, I usually catch like one or two. I'm not as good as these guys probably were. But my hands smell like fish. My wife is allergic to fish, so I can't bring any home. But I smell like it. I can only imagine if you fished all day long how bad you would stink. Has anybody ever worked at McDonald's in here? Anybody? Okay. When you leave McDonald's, you smell like McDonald's. When you take a shower, you smell like McDonald's still. You have to quit and be gone for a couple years before it leaves your system. It's like, I, I, if I got close, I could probably be like, yep, she works at McDonald's. It, it's just this thing. And when you were a fisherman back then, it was like 10 times worse than that. It got in your skin. The oil was soaking. You always smelled bad. And let's face it, they didn't have showers and Dove soap like we do now. They, they washed not as regularly as we do. Um, so they smelled pretty bad. But these were the people that Jesus went after. One was a tax collector, which is not what you would think of a tax collector they came up with their own rules. They were known as traitors to the community because they were taking money from their people. It was so bad that a tax collector could not even tithe on the money he made because it was considered unholy. But this is who Jesus decided to have around him. He picked these people for a reason. I'm not completely sure why from looking at who they were, where they were, and what they did. But then it goes on. The disciples go on after Jesus' death. Through his death, through his crucifixion, it don't really describe a lot of them being around. It describes one of them flat out saying, I don't even know who this guy is. But after he died, like James, he was killed in the streets of Jerusalem. Matthew gave up money and security to follow Jesus. And he was killed in Ethiopia with a sword. Philip was born in a little city of Bethesda, which means the house of a fisher or the house of a hunter. He went fishing and hunting for men, and he was hanged. Bartholomew was skinned alive in Armenia. Andrew took the gospel to Russia. He's the patriot saint of Russia, and he was crucified in Greece. Thomas, who was known as Doubting Thomas, you, you know you're not a great guy, when your nickname is Doubting Thomas. Like, if people walked around and called me Chubby Timmy, I think I would be offended by that eventually. 
I did not give him my permission just to call me that. <laughs> but he was criticized for his doubts. He left no doubt to his loyalty when he was ran through with a lance. Thaddeus was shot to death with arrows, which sounds awful to me. Simon the Zealot, the guy who believed that you could force people into religion, ready to die for his country, hated the Romans, and he was crucified in Iran. Peter, while he's on his way to Rome, was crucified, but at his request, he was crucified upside down because he wasn't good enough to be crucified like by a savior. And John died in his 90s, exiled to the island of Patmos after writing John, three epistles, and the revelations. So what I want to get through is all these guys died these horrible deaths where they were cast out of the land they knew for one reason, and it was because they were spreading the gospel of Jesus. They believed so much in this that they were willing to sacrifice their lives for it. The same guys that didn't believe Jesus when he would tell a parable, Jesus would sit down and he would teach people all around him and use parables. And then when he was done teaching the people, we have to turn around and teach his disciples what he meant by what he just said. And you would think that the people, how frustrating was that? I mean, if every day at your job you had to retrain the same person to do the job over and over again, and this was the guy you were planning on running the company when you are gone. Like, these guys were the guys that Jesus was planning on spreading the gospel. Jesus' ministry was in one central area, but these 12 were responsible for spreading it out to the world. And he had faith in them. He trusted in them. Even after time and time, they bailed out on him. They ran on him. They did things that were unbelievable. They denied who he was. And I was going to go with this message more inward. Like, how can God choose us when we've done the things we've done? We've all have past. We've all done crazy things. I went through a time in my period where I wasn't in church. And when I felt like God was calling me back, I couldn't believe that he would use me because of all the stuff I had done. And the thing is, a lot of things I'd done was with people that I grew up in church with. So I felt like my testimony was shot. It was ruined. And God still chose to use me. But as we were sitting there worshiping, I was thinking that maybe it's not so much about us and how God chooses us, but maybe we need to learn how God chooses the people outside these doors. You know, the people that we minister to, the people that we go after, it's so easy to get frustrated. I've had people that I've worked with on a daily basis, poured my heart, poured my life into, and then they turn around and do something crazy and stupid. And you're like, why did I waste my time reaching out for this person, the love on this person? And this church is going to be the heart of this community. The people in this room is the core of this church. And when you guys can grasp that everybody out these doors, the person getting in their car on a Sunday morning going, who knows where, the person that is struggling. We have more churches in this community than I think most communities have, and yet we still have kids that are starving. I don't know why I was raising my hand the whole time. It got stuck up there. <laughs> serious moment, funny moment. We'll get back to serious. Sorry, that's how my mind works. Um, but we have, people, we have kids that are sitting in houses starving. I remember um, years ago when I was young, um, there was a family that a social worker went into. This was this community. 
And this was, well, it's been a long time ago, 30-something years ago. And as they went in, the kids were eating cereal boxes, not eating cereal. They were eating the boxes because they had no food. Mom had been gone for three or four days, and they'd been left in the house. Now, we can judge the mom all we want. The reality of it is she's probably doing what she needed to do. She had nobody to watch the kids. She was working jobs trying to make money for the kids. But where was the church? And I'm not pointing fingers. I don't know the situation outside of this. But for a church with this, a community with this many churches, we shouldn't have this many people struggling. Um, I mean, our first commandment that God gave us when he left was to love people. And that means to love them through anything. He loved these disciples so much that he carried them all the way to the end. And he literally had to carry them because they weren't capable of doing the job on their own. I mean, there was a couple, there was one where Jesus said, how long am I going to have to put up with you guys? Because somebody came for healing and they said, we can't do it. I mean, you're with Jesus. You can't do what he's doing. You're right next to him. He was frustrated, but he kept on going. He kept on doing, working with the disciples, loving on them, because he knew there was so much more inside of them. And the people on these streets, the people in this community, whether they are rich, whether they are poor, no matter what their problem is, there's rich people dealing with the same problems that poor people are dealing with, just on a different level. Our community, our church, this church, has to reach out and love on them. It has to be without any reservations, without any stipulations. We love on people no matter what. We know that they need Jesus. And as I come to start wrapping up here, Sarah, if you want to grab your guitar, and I say guitar weird too, so don't laugh at me over that. In Jeremiah 1.5 it says, Before I was formed, I knew you in the womb. I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Everybody in this room can tell a story of something that Jesus did for them, a moment in your life that, you know, God changed your life. That I mean, in my case, there's a moment where he healed me and saved my life. And some of you, I remember a time that me and Patricia didn't even know each other. And we got to know each other over eating food, she was a waitress at Bob Evans. Are you still a waitress there? And me and my daughter would go in once a week, and we formed this relationship. We ended up going to church together, becoming friends, and that's how God works. I mean, there's some of you in here that gave my daughter a weird doll with long arms. and But that's how we became friends, and we be, relationship. We live life together in church. Our families live life together. we got to be very careful that that doesn't just become the people in this room. We always have to be reaching out to the ones around us, reaching out to the people that are hurting, the people that are hurting and don't even know what they need. Whether we meet them in a restaurant, whether we meet them at the store, hey, some of us might even meet them in the bar. But Jesus needs them. We need them. The ministry could not men spread if it wasn't for these 12 idiots. These 12 guys that messed up all the time was the reason that Christianity got spread. And without them, we wouldn't have the churches we know it today. And so as everybody stands, I want to encourage you that every person in this room has some gift that God's called them to do. 
He didn't create you just to sit. He didn't create you just to be the one that always needs to be ministered to. He created you for a specific purpose. Whether that purpose is between you and one other person or you and the whole community. God has created you for a reason. And because of that, there's people out there that need you, that need your love, and need you to love on them no matter what they do. No matter how they reject it, no matter how they push you away, they need you to continue to love on them. If we can bow our heads. Father, we thank you for the French church. This is an amazing church, church that's been needed in this community for years. We pray, Lord, that you bless the people in this room, the ones that, the warriors that are going out every day and reaching the community, the ones that are serving the homeless, the ones that are going into the prison. We pray, Lord, that you bless their lives. And even when they get frustrated because the people around them aren't listening to what they're saying, I pray, Lord, that you give them courage, you give them peace, you help them to continue to do what you have them to do. And I thank you so much, and I pray for Pastors Patrick and Sarah, that you bless them in this community, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Give it up for Tim. Yeah, yeah. Powerful, powerful stuff. I want to share a story with you real quick. There's a girl, her name's Amber, and because uh, you were preaching, that's powerful, man. I needed to hear that. Uh, the love of God, it goes the distance with people, you know? Uh, I heard somebody describe one time, oftentimes in church, it's like we commit spiritual abortions. We, we lead people to new life and we just kind of, we let them die. And, uh, and, 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 you know, I've been guilty of that on some level in my past. And uh, I think when I think about Jesus and I think about his willingness to go the distance with people, man, like he was willing to get dirty with people. And for some of us, some of us that have gone through recovery, right? Recovery isn't always a straight road, but sometimes there's hills and there's valleys. And that's what I love about God. And I love about what you're saying is, is the Lord is committed to going the distance. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, uh, Peter, after he let Jesus down and after he denied him three times, it says that Jesus. Peter, Peter was out fishing. He was out fishing, and he had given up on the whole movement. He had thought he screwed up to the point of no return. And it says that after Jesus was raised from the grave, he was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he was cooking a meal. And, and, and they came to Peter, and they said, Peter, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one that's over him. And Peter, like being so just blown away that God hadn't given up on him, even though he screwed up, it said that he stripped his clothes off, man. Like the dude jumped out of the boat, and he swam because his mind was blown that this this Jesus that, that I'd walk with, like, I thought he'd given up on me. Listen to me. I thought he'd given up on me like other people. I thought he was going to let me down like other people. But this Jesus is committed, man. And when we think about people in the community, maybe you're in that space this morning where you're struggling. You feel like, man, I'm so screwed up. Like, God, how could you continue to pick me up when I struggle with this and I struggle with that? Man, Jesus is committed for the long run. And there was this girl named Amber. And it was one of Sarah's friends. She was incarcerated with her at Dayton Correctional. And she was a heroin addict. And she had two small children. We were trying to get her into rehab. She would call us. We'd take her out. We'd take her to True West, sit down with her, talk to her, plead with her. Man, you're made for more. Don't give up. Like, you can come out of this. We took her down to a rehab. We drove all the way down to Kentucky or Indiana or somewhere. Took her to this rehab. She was pregnant, still using at the time. Take her to the rehab. Within two hours, she calls us and says, man, like, 
can you come get me? I can't do this. I, and we weren't going to, look, we're not, not, we're not naive. I'm from the streets. Like, hey, no, I'm not going to come get you, period. You're going to sit there and you're going to sweat it out, you know. Uh, so anyway, she calls somebody else and somebody else comes and picks her up. She goes back in the streets. We don't hear from her, but we refuse, listen to me, we refuse to give up on this girl. And we kept praying for her. Couldn't get a hold of her. Don't do, didn't know what happened. And, you know, for those of you that have known people that have struggled with this, in particular with opiates, man, the odds aren't good. They're not good. And we just kept praying for her and refusing to give up on her. And, and we hadn't seen her for months. I think, man, I wonder what happened to Amber. That day before, I wonder what happened to Amber. I hope to God she's still alive. I hope to God those kids are okay. And uh, we go into Dayton Correctional, man, that Tuesday. And we're sitting in there. We're setting up. And this door opens. <laughs> and Amber comes in there. She's crying, crying, tears, tears. And, and, and I could tell she was so, she was so embarrassed that she was back in prison. She was so embarrassed that like, gosh, like I didn't listen. I didn't receive what you were saying to me. And I could tell she just, she had this feeling of disappointment. Like we were embarrassed of her. And we said, Amber, sit down. We're not embarrassed of you. We are so thankful that you're still alive. We're so glad that you're still here. Yes, I know you're locked up. Yes, I know you got some time to do, but thank God you're still alive you can still turn it around man that's jesus that's jesus and so may we be the kind of people let's pray god may we be the kind of people may we be the kind of church that goes the distance with people even when it gets messy even when it's hard even when it's difficult even when it's it's a struggle may we be those people that are willing to get our hands dirty and god the religious culture and climate of this region is not going to like that people don't like to get their hands dirty they get embarrassed they get uncomfortable Lord, help us to, to shake all that stuff off and to step into the reality of Jesus, step into the reality of who you are, and just know, God, that when you go with us and you go out into that world with us, that anybody can change the most hopeless situation. And God, remind us as we reach out that you are reaching in. Remind us when we struggle in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own lives, remind us, God, that you will go the distance with us, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. I thank you, Jesus that you are not like my biological father that dropped me and never looked back. I thank you, Jesus, that you're not like that broken relationship, that man that let her down, that woman that let him down. I thank you, God, that you are a friend that sticks closer to a, closer than a brother. And no matter where we go, God, if we ascend to the highest heights and we make our bed in Sheol, you are there. I thank you, Jesus, that you go with us the distance. Lord, that's what will change this city. That's what will change this city. Help us to, 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 to have the spiritual gift uh, to go the distance with people, to walk with people. In the mess, in the darkness, in the pain, in the struggle. And I thank you in time, God, you will give them beauty for ashes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. These guys are going to close us out in a song. If anything that Tim spoke on resonated with you, you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to encourage you. And just know, man, if you remember anything that he said, hey, I'm not the only voice in this place. Like, this world needs you. This community needs you. And you can do things and you can speak into people's lives in ways that I never will. So don't doubt for a second the value of what God has placed inside of any one of you guys. I don't care how close you feel to God or how far away from God you feel this morning. God is calling you, man, to be his hands and feet. Amen.